for Seth. No milk, no sugar. Right here. Thank you. To no Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath the sweetener. Powered by Morales Group and hosted by CEO Seth Morales, we talk to local movers and shakers about what can be the harsh reality of doing business. We cover what no one likes to advertise, but everyone wants to hear. I'm Tori, producer of the show, and today we talk to Mario Rodriguez, CEO of the Indianapolis Airport and seasoned veteran of leading through a crisis, most notably for his efforts at the New Orleans Airport during Hurricane Katrina. Mario digs into why common good matters over the bottom line profits, how to apply other cities' successes to Indianapolis, and how to look at any crisis as an opportunity to improve. Hey, we're in a coffee shop and we're catching up. And I got a, I got a cup of black coffee here because we're, we're not doing any milk or sugar. It's like, it's business beneath the milk and sugar. So this is like the raw cup. You've been through a lot, man. I, I think as a leader, I, I was reading your bio and listening to some of your podcasts as a leader leading different airports, going through what you just went through with, with COVID at the Indianapolis airport and leading uh, in, in the past uh, se- several years back with Katrina and what happened with the New Orleans airport, you, you've just, you've had a lot of adversity and you've been able to overcome it. Talk to me about just like how that shaped your character. What's that done to you as a leader? I mean, it's, I mean Katrina and COVID, I, I don't know too many like airport directors that maybe have been through that much and, and there probably are, you probably know of some stories, but I mean, gosh, that, that that's quite a bit of a, a track record. So how's that shaped you as a leader? This is going to be, it's going to be a little bit counterintuitive, but follow me here. If we are just a summation of our experiences, which is basically tacit knowledge, you know, you have technical knowledge and you have tacit knowledge and you know, it, it's, in tacit knowledge is created through a summation of our experiences. Katrina was good. COVID was good. Not in the sense that, you know, we've had, it was a tragedy, both there, there were people that died that needlessly that didn't have to die. And it was an incredible human tragedy in, in, in Katrina was localized to, to New Orleans and in COVID it's, basically spread all over the world. I'm not making, I'm not, I'm not reducing the incredible tragedy as an experience. It builds your experience like nothing else does. So it really is good. So when people say, you know what, I failed at something, it actually is a good thing. And it creates that, that sum of experience. And I remember going, when COVID started, everybody's panicking and I'm sitting there going, well, you know, at least we're not living in FEMA trailers and eating MREs. You know, we're going home every day. Look at the bright side. We could get through this. And and, and even going into COVID, um, we had 400 operating days of reserve. Call it a little bit of panic from Katrina and experience from Katrina that cash usually is king in these sorts of operations. So it, it has built my foundation of knowledge. And, you know, it, it really is fascinating. When you start looking at how people react and how people of certain intelligence, let's say, let's say you and I play chess, right? The difference between you and I and a grandmaster is the amount of games they played. 
So they're not thinking technically, hey, look, you know, I'm playing this game and I'm going to move from point A to point B. And this is a technical move. No, they're thinking I played this game before. So the more knowledge you get, the more games you play, the more the better apt you are to deal with whatever situation comes up. You know, after Katrina, uh, unless the city floods, we're good. I can handle the situation. I think, I think that's a phenomenal comment that you said, you know, shots on goal or being at bat or getting those 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 experiences. I heard that from Ursal on the podcast. He was talking about how um, he, he made a lot of uh, hiring mistakes early on, but he learned along the way and now he's he's, he's figured out. So that, I think that's great that you've, you've gone through those experiences. I heard you the other day on a podcast mention uh, with, with maybe COVID that it it was not necessarily some big, bold decisions, but there were just kind of a lot of small decisions that were trial and error. And you try to tweak and figure, figure a way out. Uh, It sounds like those experiences with Katrina and COVID have really kind of helped keep you calm and keep the ship ship afloat. And obviously any airport has had, a ton of success. You guys have had a lot of accolades. So hats off to you on that front. As we go forward, I'm curious just um, for our listeners, what what is, I mean, we've got the variant picking up. Any any quick thoughts on just what's what's ahead with the next, you know, three months? Are, are you are you cool and collected or what, what, what are some thoughts here? We're fine. But remember, COVID has been transformative for a lot of industries, our industry included. What we're doing right now Before COVID, I would have had to go into the studio with you. We had this technology. So business has transformed. Call COVID an accelerator. So COVID has accelerated business or the use of business tools, in my opinion, five years and five months. So in other words, it's basically, and it's not going back. So for us, business travel is going to look a little bit different. If you look at the hospitality industry also, which we're part uh, we have a lot of restaurants and news and gift, you know, everything you would associate for business and business travel and personal travel at an airport that you need. That's changed. Everybody, you know, everybody's focusing in on one thing. Hey, let's pay people more and they'll come back. When is throwing money at a problem ever fixed the problem? It'll ameliorate it a little bit, but there's been a transformative sort of thing in the hospitality industry. So, Travel in the future, you sitting down in a restaurant, you may be ordering off a tablet and a runner may be coming to you with your food, you know, sort of more of a self self serve and self help sort of sort of option because the hospitality industry, everybody fails to understand one thing. Our baby boomer population retired. Generation X, my generation, there's not a lot of us and the millennials have changed their point of view when it comes to the gig economy, when it comes to, to, to the hospitality industry. So there's been a societal shift accelerated probably by COVID. So, you know, it isn't just, it isn't just, everybody just assumes a, you know, it's not like Occam's racer, the simplest explanation is is a right explanation. In this case, probably a more complicated, uh, complicated, sort of analysis of the situation and our hospitality industry will evolve to meet this challenge. Just that everybody's three steps behind right now. And once they catch up, you're going to see things are going to change. You're going to have less waiters, waitresses, maybe the waiters and waitresses and most restaurants go away and are substituted by runners, for example. 
maybe it's a self-serve option with a news and gift. You just pick up the your news, you you sort of like the sort of like the the thing you do in the grocery store nowadays that you self checkout. It's it's fascinating the shift that's going on. I've read an article the other day about the great resignation and how a lot of employees are shifting and talent has options or they're rethinking what they want to do. As you talked about, maybe the millennials rethinking the gig economy and especially in the hospitality space. And so it's been disrupted and I think technology can help, you know, you and I on this, this call today versus in the studio, I'm on the board for St. Vincent's health. And uh, I was talking to Jonathan Nally who runs St. Vincent's Indiana. He's on the show a few episodes back and he was just talking about how COVID was this kind of phantom or ghost and they didn't know what to do. So it was a lot of trial and error, similar to what you mentioned, just kind of trying to figure out how to mitigate it. But telehealth and teledoc and all the the, the, the technology has really kind of come to the forefront for them. And so it, it will be interesting to see how we go forward, but um, it'll just be kind of a nuanced way. Well, we go, we go forward. Look, human beings have this like really bad tendency to try to go back to an idealized past that never existed in the first place. They want to go back to normal. They don't realize that, you know, time moves on and things like this, things like COVID worldwide, things like, you know, it, it, it was, it was an existential threat. So it caused, it caused shifts in society. So it, it caused a change, a rapid change where otherwise we wouldn't have this change. So people have got to get used to this change. You know, Katrina was the same thing localized, but this has been, you know, eh, this has been a nightmarish situation for a lot of people. And, but human beings want to go back to like that idealized past that they had in their brain, which never existed in the first place, by the way. They don't understand that it's a transformative normal. It's not even a new normal. It's a transformative normal. Well put, man. Being in your seat, leading the airport, leading uh, other airports in the past, what what's a what's a real like what's tough about being in your role man if you if you had like hey this is a tough part this is this is being in the hot seat this is what it looks like internally internally obviously there, there's there's challenges internal and external but in, the internal challenge is the same challenge you have is to make sure that your organization sees the vision to put it in very simply everybody looks at a bottom line our bottom line is incredibly complex why because you own this facility for lack of a better term but i can't monetize that investment that you have in this facility back to you in cash the only way i could do it is in a public value equation give you better parking a better economy concentrate on on underpinning what you're trying to do so that's that's a difficult concept so getting everybody aligned is difficult and also status quo is the most insidious danger we have in these type of organizations. You know, it's kind of hard, so you have to keep picking at it and changing. Now, externally, the challenge is, in most of these organizations, is making everybody understand externally what public value is. And that's been an incredible, because it's an amorphous term to begin with. You know, everybody sees a P&L, and sees the bottom line and says, well, you're either making money or you're not making money. Our challenge is we make money, a lot of money, but I can't monetize that investment back to you. So that money has got to be invested in a way that benefits you. So that's where the trick comes in, in economic development and better customer service. So that's where it gets really, 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 really complicated. So 
the money that we make, if we don't invest, it's useless. And it doesn't serve well, you. Well, you guys have done a great job of pouring it back into the airport. And you know, there's, there's a value. You guys have won awards. Talk to me. You've won how many years in a row? What's the award? Like, and then give me some insight of what going forward, what, what does the airport look like with some, some highlights? Well, so far we've won, uh, our association's award for best airport in the United States for nine years in a row, 10 year in total. We lost one time to Canada, but we don't consider that. We, we that really, that, that's, we were, we were robbed on that one. You know, we don't consider that one a loss, but and we nine years in a row, which is a heck of a record. We've also, since I've been here, we've won two JD Power Awards, which the association, our association is very powerful, but you have to explain to people what Airport Councils International is. You don't have to explain to people what the heck JD Power is. Everybody knows that. And to win two JD Power Awards is phenomenal. It basically says that it, it validates, it validates the push for increased public value at the airport and it validates everything that we're doing. It's phenomenal how you guys continue to, to win those awards. I see your posts on LinkedIn. I'm like, man, when are these guys going to stop? It's just like you guys, it's the win streak, man. You guys are a dynasty, but uh, going forward, talk to me about some highlights or some things that are exciting about what's ahead with the airport, you know, amid COVID post COVID new flights coming in, just, just projects. Give give us a, a flavor there. Well, we're getting, we're getting a big shift. So what you're going to see is more and more ultra low cost flights. Right now we have every, practically every single ultra low cost carrier that flies. So we have Sun Country, Allegiant, Spirit, Frontier, which, you know, it, it, you just have to look at how they're set up. And once people get, get the rhythm, they're really good airlines. Now you have to understand that if you're if you're if you're paying forty nine dollars each way to Florida, you're going to get forty nine dollars worth of customer service. So, and if you want a soda, you're going to have to pay for it. And if you want to put your bag in the overhead, you're going to have to pay for it. And if the cabin depressurizes and oxygen comes out, you're going to have to pay for that also. If they could charge for that, they would. But and that's the a la carte sort of model. But it is. It, it's the future of aviation, like it or not. The legacy carriers—they call them legacy because they're old, and they, they don't want to—they don't want them—they don't want to call them old carriers. But you know, they're the old hub and spoke model, which has a very, very prominent part right now in the industry. But their market share is decreasing. They've got the 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 the, the largest market share, but they're decreasing slowly, and the ultra low cost carriers are increasing. So you're going to see a lot of that. Uh, you're going to see a lot more economic impact from us. We have, for example, things that you wouldn't know. We, we're spending $170 million on reconstructing a runway, which may not sound, it, it's sexy to us. It's not sexy to you. But what is sexy is that most, most of the people working on that runway are going to be local. So it's going to be local designers, local contractors, local inspectors, which puts $170 million into the local economy. Larger drones will carry cargo later on, and eventually people will be carrying drones to the airport, consolidated on aircraft, and moved to different locations around the globe. So it really, it, it, that is the future of aviation. The future of aviation is that integration of drones beyond visuals line of sight into the airspace, and that's what, that's what we're looking at right now. 
And uh, it, there's a lot of things going going on. You know, customer service. We're improving. We're we're coming up with ideas for improving customer service, i.e., more technology. So, in other words, once you're walking down the concourse, we're going to see if it works. You're going to have QR codes down the car concourse. You can take a picture of it, and it'll give you sort of like a Zoom call with our customer service, just in case you're. So you don't have to go back to customer service, and that'll work out. And um, you know we're participating. We're, we've developed um, uh, it, for the longest time. Ever since I got here, I've been concentrating on equity and diversity. We established that uh, a diversity officer a long time ago, and she's got a team. And uh, just in 2019, we were outside spend basically procurement spend, everything from contractors to uh, books to rubber bands, whatever. Our spend was 40% to diverse companies. Women, minorities, and veteran-owned companies, 40% of every dollar went to them. And we spend hundreds of millions of dollars on construction and equipment and stuff like that every year. So that was that was quite a feat, and we are we've developed a pipeline internally. We've developed a pipeline to train and bring up to the executive level uh, uh, folks that wouldn't otherwise be there. To such a degree that are um, we we developed basically an educational funding program, and we're able to fund up to the IRS max. In other words, we're able to fund anybody's education. So anybody that comes here and wants to study a bachelor's or master's, we'll fund them. No strings attached. We'll, we'll think about it. Your eyes lit up, but think about, think about what we're trying to do. We're trying to increase public value back to you. So if I'm able to take someone that otherwise would not have studied and give them a leg up, wouldn't have studied because of various reasons, monetary being the principal one, and they're able to work here, get either a technical or a professional education, and they stay here, it's positive for the authority. If they leave and stay in central Indiana, it's a positive for central Indiana. And we still we still uh, add public value to the entire central Indiana area. So, uh, and they may come work for you. They may come work for, for somebody else. So we're adding, we're basically monetizing to some degree the investment you have in this place. Yeah, I love it. You guys are definitely, from a leadership standpoint, not status quo here. And uh, whether it's the runway project, the technology with the QR codes, or the transformation on the just investing in your people. There are tech companies, that local tech companies, that are using this airport as their first platform. Uh, there's, so we're, we're allowing them to come in. We're buying their services. If it works, fine, and they can sell it at other airports. If it doesn't, you know, they've at least used this as a, as a beta test. Part of my job, and this might sound weird, is to be parochial. I want to keep the economic impact of this place here. I don't want to ship it someplace else. Yeah, no, I love the uh, local local play, man. And uh, you're a good steward of that. It sounds like just all the things that are going on, keep, keep that mojo going. Uh, so we were talking a little bit of forward and future with the airport, just kind of a little bit of context and looking back your, your, your track record, you got an interesting story, you know, your, your parents and just, can, can you give us a little bit about, um, that story, a little bit about your education? I know education is important in your family and just some, some thoughts of how you got to 
maybe leading us up to the the Indianapolis leadership role, but just give us some flavor there. Two of my greatest mentors, uh, and they passed away, were my parents. And my my mom um, was part of basically an incredible shift in Cuba. It went from a dictatorship, and they were a group. And I, I should caveat that by saying mom studied with Fidel Castro. At the same time, they, they were colleagues, and they were trying to shift the government from a dictatorship into a social democracy. It obviously, it went way, 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 way more to the left than anybody really wanted it to. So, uh, so mom was part of the first government, which lasted for about 11 months. So Castro set up a government, cabinet president. She was one of the cabinet level members. And uh, at about 11 month period, everything kind of sort of started going sideways and she resigned and everybody else resigned, including the president. The president resigned first and she was accused, interestingly enough, of anti-revolutionary acts. You know, note to self, do not resign in a communist government unless you leave the country first. So she's in the country and she had to be smuggled out of the country by the Catholic Church with documentation saying she was a nut. So, yeah, so she ends up in New York. And remember all of, remember the Cuban diaspora. Cuba, Cubans, the first ones, never thought they were going to stay in the United States or wherever they were. It was just like, hey, let's leave and hang out where we're at for a little bit until this problem resolves itself, which it normally did. So she goes to New York. My dad was owner. He owned a lot of businesses. The businesses were, were taken over by the government. So he decided, I'm going to go to Spain. So he hops on a ship. And at that point, I guess it was a part cargo ship and part cruise ship or part passenger ship. They don't exist anymore. Uh, so it docked in New York. And I guess you could do stuff like that back then. He just got off because he had no long-term vision of staying anywhere but going back to Cuba. So that's where my mom and dad met. And uh, we, to make an incredibly long story very short, we moved to Miami. And one of the advantages I have, which I finally realized it was an advantage, I thought it was a disadvantage, is that we grew up poor. So it gives me a different perspective and a different angle on how I'm seeing things. But we, I grew up with very educated parents that valued education. So I, I ended up studying engineering. And what's interesting, my mom graduated because law in Cuba is Napoleonic law, for lack of a better term. Over here, it's British common law. So she graduated law school the same year I graduated engineering school again. So they finally got it in their heads that, you know, it took a long time. Cubans are really hard-headed. It, it took them a long time to figure out, oh, crap, we're not going back. So we've, got, we've, got to, we've got to set up our lives here. So she went back to law school, and, uh, and I graduated engineering school the same year she graduated law school again. So it's, so it's, it's, it was rather interesting. And then I started working. I have three decades in aviation. I started working in different airports, uh, Fort Lauderdale. Got the privilege of designing part of the Hong Kong airport. Um, lived in Kuwait for a little bit, um, uh, Houston, New Orleans, um, Long Beach, California. So I've been, you know, all over the world. Yeah. My, my, my head goes, man, this is a, uh, this is a treasured, treasured asset. You're a talent, man. I don't want to lose you to the next like big opportunity. 
Oh, no, no, no. You know, for this is the finest place I've ever lived for a very simple reason. Everybody living here are the nicest people, genuinely nicest people I've ever met. You know, it, it, it. it is a wonderful place. My wife, who is way smarter than I am, by the way, she's an aeronautical engineer and she owns her own company. Um, uh, we, we love living here. It's, it's, it's wonderful people. It's, uh, you know, the weather could be nicer, but um, it's, it's a wonderful place to, it's a wonderful place to live. Everybody collaborates. Um, we're really enjoying ourselves. And, you know, over, over the years here, I've gotten offers. Um, as a matter of fact, it, it, it was rather interesting. My people freaked out because uh, before COVID, um, uh, and Garcetti, King, Mayor Garcetti of LA flew in to see me to try to convince me to go to LAX. And he was sitting in my office. We're having lunch. My people are walking around going, is that Eric Garcetti? I'm, yeah. He's, I, I kind of ticked the boxes, you know, in, in what's... The, the what's positive for me and what's good for the industry at large is that there's very little diversity so we can move the needle on diversity in this industry and open up career paths for people that are diverse which otherwise they didn't know about in the past and there's probably there's probably three hispanics running airports in the united states of sizable of, of, of that are that are large sized uh, and there's probably half a dozen African-Americans. So there's very little diversity. Our industry was very well white male dominated. As a matter of fact, every single airline that's ever existed in the United States that's still operational or went or defunct, there's only been one woman CEO and one Hispanic CEO. That's it. <laughs> So there's, 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 you know, there's a, there's an ability to move the needle on that. Yeah. It sounds like it. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here, man. Um, I I was curious, just a quick question, best and worst, uh, maybe reputation with airports. Like if you were to say globally, domestically, who's, who's got a great reputation, who doesn't have maybe the best reputation today? Internally, for the people that I'll, I'll give you both. For the people that actually know the industry, Indianapolis has the best. Probably, I would say it's a toss-up between LaGuardia and maybe Newark. As 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 freaking horrific. Now 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 also Miami has is very difficult because it, it's 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 such a large beast and there's so many moving parts. And LAX is the same way. Uh, but when it comes to when it comes to to incredible difficulty, it's the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey, because your job as the CEO is dependent on two governors and a mayor, which at any given time have competing interest. You got two governors and a mayor, and the mayor of one of the most financially powerful cities on the face of the planet and two governors of pretty, pretty sizable states and populations. And yeah, it's, 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 it's basically making sure to some degree that you make sure that they don't, they don't kill each other and that the airplanes keep flying. So the hope, the best you can hope for is, you know, 
you know, hold on for the ride. That's probably the best you can hope for. You can't move the needle on that one. Now, when it comes to the outside point of view, you know, you're also looking in, in, in the United States, it's different, but let's look at worldwide. When you have, you remember what I was telling you about public value? Everybody has a different set of value for their, for their investment. I think some of the best airports in the world are in the Middle East. Because Qatar, for example, Qatar's, Qatar is not interested in, in, in a return for their investment. They're interested in being part of the world and being viewed as part of the world. So Qatar Air is probably one of the finest airlines in the world, and they're giving you more than you're paying for. But they want you to, to make sure that you understand that they're part of the world. So when you land in your airport, which is brand new, and it could handle 95 million passengers, and it's probably doing 20 right now, you're looking at a magnificent thing with different different fountains and it's beautiful. So, so what they're trying to make sure is they're trying to impress you in that they're part of the world. You know, they've got oil money and it's in this country. I think I think there's probably three, four hundred thousand people from Qatar. Uh, that's it. So it's less than the city of, of of Indianapolis, and they're trying to impress the world. Uh, Singapore is very impressive. Um, now horrible and and i've been and i've been here uh is port of prince haiti that's probably the single most scariest freaking airport i've ever had had the 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 unfortunate privilege to land in the runways are short the terminal was was scary there was only one air-conditioned room in the entire terminal it was the vip lounge and it it really was a it really is a poor, nice people, by the way, nice people, um, great focus on, on on customer service, but they just didn't have the money or tools to to create what they needed to. That makes sense. Those are good perspective, man. So when, when you, you've got that that insight, knowledge, and uh, just curious personally on what, what what's a good airport. And I, I, I can't imagine being the leader of LaGuardia and just managing all those different constituents and leaders. And that's crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and managing competing interests and making sure that it, it, honestly, that is like that, that the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey is probably the single biggest disaster in our industry. Well, kind of getting back more to the, uh, the CEO seat and, and business overall. Um, this is this this podcast is no milk no sugar it's all about business beneath the sweetener and just being real. What's one thing Mario where you've just you know you you've had a a, a mishap. You you made a mistake, something that you regret. You look back like I I'm not we we know we're not all perfect, but one thing that really maybe helps shape you as a leader that maybe you made a mistake and you've learned from what comes to mind. I've gotten to the point in my life where I don't regret anything because I've learned through it. But I think for the longest time, at least during the beginning of my career, I was I was focused on the wrong metric. I was focused on generating a lot of cash and making sure that my profit and loss statement looked good. So the airports that I worked at had an enormous amount of money, but that money wasn't reinvested. So it was it, it was it was basically looking at corp, trying to corporatize something that's 
in the public sector. And I made and and I slowly adjusted my point of view and started looking philosophically at what public value is or what value is in general. In a corporation, you have to make profit because you have you have um, shareholders, you know, you have ownership, and you have to make your bottom line. In our organizations over here, since it's a public, uh, it's public ownership. What we have to do is we have to increase the public value of it, and just stacking money on top of money doesn't work because you can't monetize that back to Seth Morales, for example, but you could monetize very reasonable parking rates. You could monetize uh, good customer service. You could monetize economic impact, so on and so forth. But those are amorphous terms and it's very difficult for people to get their heads around. But early on in my career, I focused on wrong things. You started off the conversation talking about public value, and you could tell that that was a, an important emphasis for you. It's interesting how you went through that shift. I think I've done a little bit of that myself. You know, we are privately held, and you got to run and operate and give back to the shareholders. But at the end of the day, this this idea of philosophical public value, and it's really about the greater good and how can we invest back into the airport to make it a better experience overall for the city. I love that mindset, man. So. Um, it's refreshing to hear that from one of our best leaders in the city. Um, we, we've got a couple minutes left, man. Anything, anything you wanted to touch on or, or anything that you wanted to share uh, with our listeners about you as a leader of the airport, or uh, we, we can wrap up too, if you don't have any other final thoughts. Well, it's, it's not, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, we have a great team here. Uh, I think the, the team itself is great as a team. You know, individually, we have all our, all our frailties and negatives, but we all have enough positives to counterbalance everybody's negative. So we have a great team, and that's why this airport will continue to deliver public value. And really, it's the main focus to us. It's not about making the airport better. It's about making the community better. So using, leveraging our assets to make everybody's life a little bit better, making our people better educated, better trained, having them live a better life. Uh, we even have to the point that we have right now, we've been focusing in on health. We have a gym at the airport with trainers to help our people. You know, obviously the, the byproduct is since we're self-insured in our health insurance, our health insurance actually benefits from that. So, but we didn't do it because of that. We did it because our people need to live a better life. And thus, they take care of the customers a lot better. So it's just some examples of what we're focusing in on. Well, I appreciate you, man, Sharon. It's been an honor to have you on the show, man. You're, uh, you're doing phenomenal things. You've had a great track record. I think we're fortunate to have you as a leader. Need to keep you in that spot and keep building up Indy. And I uh, just want to say thank you for joining us today. Um, it's an honor to be here at Indy with all of you. Uh, you know, I'm very, I consider myself very lucky to have landed here. It's been the best decision of my career. So, all right, we're talking Mario Rodriguez. Um, he chopped it up on the show with us today. Had a great time. I think there were some good takeaways. He had, uh, he had talked about a few things. He said one thing that he talked about was just, Early on, he focused on his P&L and 
later he realized, hey, it's not about the bottom line profit. It's more about how do you just give value back to the public? They run the Indianapolis airport. He's thinking about not only the airport and his team, but the overall city of Indy. And I love that he's just kind of got that mindset for uh, the overall common good. So I think that was a good kind of learning or takeaway. It's not all about the bottom line profit. You do have to run a well-run uh, business that generates some some funds, but at the back end, it, I, I like that. I, I thought that was a good sticky takeaway, and it sounded like it was a good learning for him over the years. I also think it's interesting that I think we have seen kind of this uh, theme or trend amongst the leaders that we talk to where you know, a lot of the forward thinkers that we talk to are definitely like looking at what is working in other areas and taking that experience and trying to apply it to Indy. And it'll be interesting to see how that kind of shapes the city in the future. Yeah. A lot of cool projects on, on the, the forefront, the aviation industry is being disrupted, the airport itself, you know, having to uh, adjust with COVID. So that's, that was really fascinating. I think Mario's, you know, experience going through Katrina down in New Orleans, and then running the Indy airport with COVID, he's learned to just kind of maneuver with like quick, small decisions and and not be afraid to uh, make some mistakes. I think he said, what did he say? He said those learning experiences from Katrina kind of kept him calm and cool, um, you know, from uh, COVID. And so I think the more shots on goal we were talking about, the, the, the better you feel or the more confident you are. And so that's just, I think, a good learning for any leader you just need to be at the, I mean, at the plate taking some swings. I think um, that's, you know, that's also a theme that we see in the people that we talk to. I remember Kristen, uh, Kristen Mays Corbett talking in episode six about how, um, you know, it's best to view any crisis as an opportunity to improve. And I think that Mario really embodies that as well. He mentioned um, how people have this tendency to want to go back to like this idolized past that didn't really exist in the first place and how, well, you know, COVID is like obviously like an unimaginable tragedy. It also showed a lot of the things that weren't working that we needed to fix and innovate. Yeah, that that's a fantastic point. And I think you got to lean into that. And there's so many people that want to kind of retrench and go back. And it's like, no, you got to be progressive minded. You got to lean into the, the, the train is left. Like we're not going back to 2018, like 2019, that, that, that ship has sailed. And really, when has that ever happened in history? We always continue to move forward. It was just, it was fascinating to hear that and then hear how he's recruited from, you know, Long Beach to, to Indy. And uh, it was more about, hey, the, the opportunity to help build this, this new airport up and how this recruiter reached out to him. So cool insights, just kind of geeked out on that. I thought that was fun just hearing from him on just what, you know, behind the scenes with the Indian, Indianapolis airport, what's, what's it all about? Which, I mean, that is fascinating because I know that I'm biased, but I always have really loved the Indianapolis airport. I mean, it's beautiful. It's spacious. Just the energy there feels very nice. It is a nice place to sit and wait for kind of like your next adventure that you're going off on. And it's a nice place to come home to. It's very easily, it's very easy to navigate. Um, But I do remember when I was a kid, we didn't, I mean, I didn't go on that many trips as a child, but um, I went on, you know, one. And I remember how the old Indianapolis airport was, and it was not nice. It was not what I would no. call a jewel. And I definitely <laughs> like our airport now <laughs> much better. Yeah, we, we definitely upgraded. It, it's like when you come home from a trip and you come to the Indy airport, you're like, okay, this is clean. It's new and it's well run. And you, you, feel, you feel a sense of pride. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of No Milk, No Sugar, the podcast about business beneath a sweetener. 
We hope you learned something and we'd love to hear from you. Tag us with hashtag no milk, no sugar, or email us at no milk, no sugar pod at gmail.com or connect with Seth on LinkedIn. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time.